And we're back. Welcome to episode two of the Kevin Rook Show. Before we get into today's guests, I want to talk about my episode one experience with Lightning Podcasting and a new feature that I'm going to be introducing to this show. So for those who don't know, this is a Lightning Podcast. Uh, in episode one, I discussed this with Oscar Mary. Check it out if you haven't already seen it. Oscar is the co-founder of an app called Fountain. Fountain basically allows anyone to send tips and send messages to podcast creators on the Lightning Network. So after episode one of my show, I actually received over 50 payments from listeners directly on the Lightning Network paid in Bitcoin, um, small amounts, a few Satoshis here and there. I think the total I received was about 10,000 Satoshis from episode one. I also received a number of messages from those listeners. Mostly the messages were just Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Podcasting 2.0. Glad to have you here. But I thought it might be interesting if we take the messaging experience in Fountain and we kind of put it to use in an interesting new way. And so the idea that I've come up with here is something called the lightning round. And this is a segment of my show that I'm going to be having at the end of every episode. So not today because I'm just introducing it today, but in all future episodes, the end of the show will be dedicated to something called the lightning round. And the lightning round is basically going to be for you, the listener, to ask me whatever questions you have. And I'm basically going to be taking questions from Lightning Network messages. So if you have a question for me, it can be a tech question, investing question. It can be a question about the episode. It can be a question about life. It doesn't really matter. Um, any question you have, you can send that to me as a boost. Use Fountain. Use another podcasting 2.0 app. Um, send it across the Lightning Network. I will be able to receive it. I'll be able to read it directly in my podcasting feed on Fountain. And I'm going to collect them all and basically run through the list of them and answer the questions at the end of every episode. Uh, the way I'm going to rank them is based on the number of sats sent with the question to prioritize them. So if you have a burning question you want to ask, you can send it with more sats. If you don't have a burning question, you can send... 10 sats or 100 sats or whatever whatever denomination you choose. Um, but I'll try and get to a handful of questions every episode. So look out for that in the next episode. You can ask questions in this episode if you wish, but the first lightning round episode will be episode three next week. Okay, so now it's time to get into today's episode. I had a chance to sit down with Nathan Jessup from Collider. He's the co-founder there. Um, Collider is a derivatives exchange built on the lightning network. You can learn more about Collider at collider.xyz. You can follow them on Twitter at collider underscore trade. And you can check out Nathan's Twitter at Nathan Jessup. Hope you enjoyed the conversation and uh, looking forward to seeing all your messages for the lightning round. All right. Episode two of the Kevin Rook Show. I'm here today with Nathan Jessup. Nathan, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you start by explaining a little bit about your background in crypto and why you decided to start Collider. Sure, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way, Kevin. It's uh, nice to be number two on the show. So uh, yeah, my name is Nathan Jessup. I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of Collider. And in terms of, I guess, you know, where I came from, uh, I'm one of the people that's been working in the cryptocurrency ecosystem my entire career. So I started off in 2013 at one of the UK's first crypto companies. Um, and then I moved over to a quite a large market maker called B2C2, also based in London. And it's actually there where my, my co-founder. Um, when we were there, we kind of saw firsthand how traders allocate capital at scale. 
and the troubles associated with counterparty risk and allocating funds across multiple exchanges at the same time. You know, once you're moving at speed and you're moving at scale, sometimes not having enough on one exchange ready to execute means you miss an opportunity. You can't execute, basically. And, you know, at the time when we were there, there were lots of tools trying to solve these issues of counterparty risk and moving between exchanges and managing your funds, essentially, effectively. But these tools were only really there for the larger players. These are the only guys that could afford them, and they were the, the target market. But today in crypto, um, specifically on the derivative trading side of things, the market is mostly made up of retail traders. These are normal people that trade. These aren't massive institutions. And for these guys, they never get access to these type of tools, these type of protections. So at the time, you know, we also both quite amazed at, at BDC2. We were using derivatives also to kind of hedge a lot of risk. We were personally interested in them as well. But the market was just growing crazily. Like it was eclipsing the spot market. And I think in sort of 2020, around the end of 2020, we hit around $3.5 trillion worth of kind of like derivative volume across exchanges, right? And most of that is like a large portion of it. Bitcoin settled derivatives. So, um, you know, arguably we kind of saw derivatives as basically the most popular cryptocurrency products to date. Eclipsing a lot of other things out there. But if you're a normal person, like you were me trading on one of these exchanges, especially if you're trading derivatives, uh, it's a fairly terrible experience, right? You risk loss of funds if you leave more collateral on these exchanges than is needed, right? We all know that if you leave all your kind of coins on the exchange, are they really yours? If that exchange goes down, how do you get them back, right? And there's also this notion that if you want to move off exchange, let's say back into your wallet, or you see another opportunity on another exchange you want to execute on, you just can't move fast enough. There was a point, I think a couple of years ago, Black Tuesday, where there's a lot of volatility in the market. And specifically on the derivative side of things, if people are using a lot of leverage, they need to move more Bitcoin to their positions on these exchanges to update their margin balances. However, the network is pretty slow, the underlying network, which means by the time those transactions got to these exchanges, positions were either liquidated or those traders had to basically cancel or close their positions, basically at a loss or too early. And also, you know, moving funds on off these exchanges sufficiently is expensive, right? Maybe the one transaction isn't that expensive, but if you're doing it at scale many, many times an hour, um, it becomes very expensive very fast. When we looked at it, we tried to kind of summarize what these problems were and try and explain them to people. And these problems basically boil down to a couple of things. Essentially, settlement and execution speed and high counterparty risk. Right? It's very slow, and it means that people just cannot get their funds on off these exchanges fast enough without being posed at risk. So what most people do is they leave their funds on the exchange. The vast majority of all traders leave a ton of funds on the exchange. And it's basically because the opportunity of executing faster outweighs any kind of uh, risk of you losing anything on the exchange. So we built Collider. And in essence, we built it to solve these problems for Bitcoin set of derivatives. And we're essentially allowing people to change how they trade derivative products. And we're using the Lightning Network to do this because in essence, for the first time ever, the Lightning Network enables traders to fundamentally, or drastically rather, change how they manage margin in positions. They can instantly open them without actually leaving anything on the exchange whatsoever. They can even update their balances or their margin balances by the Satoshi, effectively reducing um, the impact or the possibility of them ever being liquidated because now you can just essentially move funds to and from different exchanges 
very, very fast. So yeah, we're building an entirely new trading experience basically around trading derivatives. What is the average kind of size of a derivatives trade? Like, are you, who, who's the kind of target market here? How big are some of these trades? And yeah, is there, is there a particular segment in the derivatives market you're going after? Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess we kind of look at it, or you can look at derivative markets in two ways, right? A lot of professionals trade derivatives, so they're trading at very, very large sizes. You have quite large institutions or, let's say, professional businesses using them to hedge out a lot of risk. But there's also a large part of the market which uses cryptocurrency derivatives essentially to speculate, right? It allows them to, let's say, use their Bitcoin balance or any other coin they're using to speculate on the price movements of other currencies without ever buying them outright. And it opens them up to kind of the, the use of leverage, right? You can be trading with a lot more than you have initially. And a couple of years ago, when we were looking kind of some on-chain metrics, like at one point in BitMEX, like the average kind of transaction size into it in terms of deposits was, you know, under the $2,000 mark, right? A ton of them um, were. Giving you an idea of at the point, at that point in time, there's a lot of retail traders on there. I think now the kind of environment is changing. It's becoming a little bit more, we're seeing an influx of more like institutional traders out there. But still, the vast majority of the market is still probably retail-based. In terms of that, let's say, amount, that size, pretty hard to tell, especially when you're using leverage. You see in the books, you have no idea how much someone is really trading. Um, but it, it can vary, right? With us, we're taking an approach, which is we want to go after retail traders first. And the reason we want to is because actually, I think for these guys, the experience of, let's say, not being liquidated prematurely, updating and managing their, their margin more effectively can actually have a higher impact on them than someone else that always has access to, let's say, a line of capital or some sort of prime brokerage solution between them and the exchange or the ability to kind of rebalance across exchanges. So, yeah, at least on kind of Collider right now, we have limited trade sizes. So you're looking way under the $1,000 mark. And that's simply because we're building something new up there and we're going to start small. Makes sense. Um, on the Lightning Network, because you're built on Lightning, is there any constraint right now or do you foresee a constraint in the future of channel sizes not being large enough or anything that you've noticed kind of from the Lightning architecture that is kind of limiting the exchange? Or do you think do you think that's um, kind of a scalable solution for forever? Do you think that's something that Collider is... is, is uh, building a stable foundation on Lightning and that'll be fine for the next uh, foreseeable future? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So I guess um, you know, building on Lightning is not easy at all. Um, we started, I guess, building this about maybe kind of a year and year and a bit ago, uh, a while ago. And we're still in the early days, I think, of Lightning, right? It's still being developed all the time. New releases are coming out all the time. And it's still in this stage where I'd say a lot of the people running Lightning Nodes out there, at least the, the larger ones, are probably on the hobbyist side of things. And so with us, the approach we've taken is we want to connect to, say, other parts of the network where we're going to receive the most flow from. So that's wallets in particular. There are other exchanges, anywhere where there's going to be, I guess, larger flow. In terms of the kind of the transaction size amount, with us, obviously, we kind of limit the amount you can trade, at least in the alpha we have currently. So it doesn't affect us too much. However, I think, let's say you want to remove limits. You want to allow someone to trade multiple Bitcoins worth on the Lightning Network. Yeah, 
that does become a problem. You have to ensure you have enough liquidity and capacity between other nodes in the network. And whether those long paths from one node to the other can take that sort of, let's say, high throughput type of transaction, I'm not sure quite yet. The way we've kind of gone around this is ensuring that, let's say, the direct connections we do have, some of the places we've received the most flow from, have enough capacity. So have larger capacity or larger channel limits rather. And then there's the idea that, you know, the limits in Lightning are kind of an arbitrary amount, or at least they were a while ago. So, you know, this, there was a limited amount that you could actually transfer in Lightning a while ago. You can remove this, right? As long as the two nodes you're kind of connecting with both know this, yeah, you, you can do this. But I think in terms of trading the derivative, the most important part is, let's say you have an open position, you want to update it via Lightning. And let's say your amount is larger um, than we can perhaps receive. It means we always we need to maintain basically a balance where we can essentially receive more than the maximum amount that we have um, across all positions as a kind of a limiting factor here. So let's say you want to go transfer a one Bitcoin position. We always need to ensure we have that capacity incoming at any one time. So yeah, for us, it's kind of like a bit of a, a juggling exercise. We've been using Alpha essentially to kind of learn a little bit more about that and how we can kind of scale it and effectively not have these scenarios. Um, but I think it's one of those things you just kind of have to learn by jumping straight into it. Makes sense. Um, so even though you have this kind of limit in place on your alpha release, um, is there, have you noticed any trends on lightning, like any, any activity increases or decreases in the last like six months? Cause I know we've had a lot of big catalysts on the lightning network, starting with El Salvador, we've had Twitter announce lightning tips. We've had a, a huge increase in public capacity growth and, and all kind of lightning metrics have seemingly gone up significantly in the last six months. Have you noticed any kind of changes to the business in those six months? Is it accelerating, decelerating? Uh, what are your kind of high level thoughts on lightning adoption that you're seeing through Collider? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think for us, at least, we've seen a lot more flow, especially from sort of South America, um, particularly people coming to the website from South America, etc. And we've seen like increased use of both custodial lightning type wallets. So the wallet of Satoshi's of the world, for example, and the ones that kind of allow you to kind of self-custody yourself, like a Breeze, for example. And I think ever since the kind of El Salvador news, yeah, we've definitely seen kind of more flow from South America and other parts of the world, but more of like an increased popularity between wallet services themselves. The reason for this as well, I think, is, you know, a lot of people kind of view Lightning as either a separate part, like separate from Bitcoin, which is probably not the right way to think about it. And they'll say, hey, you know, how do I get onto Lightning? And so like any kind of on-ramp, they start the wallet. So for us, we actually see most of our flow, at least um, from either hosted wallets themselves out there, they're kind of allowing people to use the Lightning Network in kind of a simple way with a simple interface, as well as kind of the, the self-custodial wallets out there. And yeah, I think it's only been increasing kind of week by week, to be honest. Um, and the type of user, uh, I think, is changing over time as well. So we have like people, at least in the early days when we had a kind of a closed alpha, we had to talk to a lot of our users all the time, which we still do. And back then it was, you know, people really interested in coming to use Collider more because of the trading side of things. Now we're having like, conversations where they're interested in using us basically as a way to kind of um, sort of either loop in, um, kind of using our on-chain deposits 
or they just want to learn about the derivative trading side of things, which is something I think that has changed over time according to how the people that use Lightning have changed according to time, how that main audience essentially has changed. Interesting. That's, um, yeah, that's really interesting that you're seeing like a, a jump in kind of South American users. Um, do you get the sense that this is like, like people are coming here now and, and learning how to trade now? El Salvador gave everyone $30 of Bitcoin earlier in uh, September. Do you think this is a trend that's going to continue? Or do you think over time, that was like a one-time thing and, and over time the demographic kind of skews towards um, financial professionals and traders um, at maturity? Yeah, it's a tough one. So I think in South America as well, you can have to realize that actually there isn't actually that many derivative exchanges there. There isn't actually that many exchanges full stop uh, in terms of South America. It's actually fairly hard um, to do a lot of the kind of fiat spot trading side of things over there, at least if you're based anywhere else in the world. And so as a result, there's very few exchanges in comparison essentially to the population, right? And so... I think there's kind of like, you've seen the beginnings of it, right? I think you're a bit so sort of out of Mexico, right? They're trying to go down the derivatives route as well, or at least a lot for some sort of delivery of trading to their kind of user base there. And I think it's going to increase tenfold, right? I think derivatives is an important part of any kind of financial system, right? Whether you're hedging risk or whether you're speculating with them, they're an important tool regardless. And so, yeah, I think probably only over time it's going to increase, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, bet against it, put it that way. I think South America is basically one of the largest crypto, untapped cryptocurrency markets out there. And yeah, I think um, yeah, this lack of derivatives or anyone actually kind of targeting South America particularly. So yeah, I think this is only going to increase over time. And I think particularly with, if we see some more, let's say we have like a Bitcoin derivative pair from local currencies in certain countries where perhaps they would actually use those derivatives as a hedging mechanism. So let's say a lot of people across like very like, across the world, right, will like to use a derivative to kind of hedge themselves or hedge a position in something. So let's say they receive Bitcoin, they want to hedge it against the US dollar, meaning they essentially want to be pegged to the dollar in some way. Imagine you could peg it to other local currencies, right, using a future or, or using another derivative in order to do that. I think we'll see probably increased use of this, right? Especially if we have more merchants, more people accepting um, sort of crypto and trying to exchange it or having to pay or basically having some sort of currency mismatch, which requires them to always be converting to fiat and back again. I know a lot of people, like in, in, especially in the Bitcoin side of things, dislike the idea of actually ever moving out of Bitcoin. But I guess for the reality is a lot of businesses that say accept Bitcoin as payments, either they're converting as soon as they receive it, if they accept Bitcoin payments, or they're hedging themselves some way. They're basically trying to hedge the risk that that Bitcoin price might go down. And if they need to pay staff, pay fees or whatever, they need a way to kind of lock it in as soon as they receive that. So I think on that side of things, yeah, we're definitely going to see like an increase as well of A, volume across uh, South America, and people using derivatives perhaps for more sophisticated use cases, basically, not just speculation more on the hedging side of things. Interesting. Um, what about your your perspective as a builder on Lightning? I want to, I want to hear more about like what are some of the pain points right now for you and Collider as a team? Um, 
have you been getting much more feedback now from users on some of the things they don't like about lightning or the things they do? What's the, what's your general sentiment? And, and maybe if you have any kind of advice for if there's builders listening to this, thinking about yeah. building an application on lightning, what, what are your kind of uh, early thoughts on it? So I think early thoughts, or at least mine personally, is Lightning is a super diverse community of people right now. It's very hobbyist. No one kind of helps each other. And in order for this to grow, we're going to have to move beyond this. And what we've, at least the problem we've had, at least for, for a while now, is we'll have a lot of people talk to us, especially from the trading side of things, that have no idea what Lightning is. And they have no idea what a Lightning wallet is, and they have no idea how to run their own node. And what's more is they, they don't want to. The stress, essentially, of learning something new is a pretty large barrier to entry, to be honest. Um, what I mean by that is saying someone that's perhaps traded, let's say, Bitcoin perps, right, on, on various different exchanges, that they now need to have like a separate or separate wallet infrastructure, at least professionally, for them to trade on like an exchange that allows lightning is a bit difficult, right? It's a bit difficult to kind of um, push them over the line or get them trading, right? I think this is only going to increase. Like we need <clears throat> basically this educational problem or this marketing problem that Lightning currently has to kind of be tweaked a little bit. We need to kind of ensure that it's easy for everyone to A, understand and B, use. So pointing someone right now to a, to a wallet that supports Lightning is great. And we have like some of the most, basically in my opinion, some of the best user experiences with Lightning wallets out there. But the amount of users on Lightning wallets is kind of completely eclipsed by the amount of users on traditional Bitcoin wallets, right? Like Edge, for example, Bread Wallet. We need larger players, right? And ones that have been around for a much, much longer time to basically adopt Lightning and accept it and build it in a way where the UX is fairly seamless to get more people onto Lightning and more people using Lightning. And I think this is inevitable. Like we're going to see this no matter what, at least um, from how I see this. And I think for the vast majority of the retail user base, that's perfect. That's going to get them on. That's going to be perfectly fine, right? Because most retail will use other exchanges or use most services out there from an on-ramp, either the first brokerage they use to buy Bitcoin or what other currency they're buying, or the wallet itself, right? They transfer from the brokerage to their own wallet. Maybe that wallet is a hosted wallet that does everything for them. And it acts basically as the, the gateway onto the network. And that's actually kind of really what controls the user experience to be honest it's their first see into it on the professional side let's say you're a market maker right it takes you a bit of time actually to connect to any other exchange you have your own kind of wallet infrastructure you're on your own multiple nodes in order to actually kind of operate now you know saying to them basically you have to run a hot wallet is kind of a bit crazy to them, right? When they've been taught this entire time, having a hot wallet is the worst idea possible. You shouldn't leave any funds in it. If you're going to be trading across multiple exchanges, do you really want this amount of funds locked in your wallet? And if you're using capital fairly efficiently, what do you do if you have an amount of it locked in your node doing nothing? So there are definitely some like problems here that kind of need to be addressed, but I think it's an educational problem. I don't think this is like something that's going to be like a deal breaker for Lightning. In terms of, I guess, those more professional traders, you know, we have a couple people on Clara right now helping us test on the API that do run their own nodes, right? That have had to learn how to run their own node. And sure, it's taking a little bit of help and pushing and, you know, blood, sweat and tears perhaps, but in the end, they've got that. Like, this isn't an impossible task. And I think 
we're probably going to need to see more infrastructure providers out there helping people get on to basically or running lightning nodes, right? Like Voltage, for example, is quite a good example of that. Uh, or Block Demon, right? So, you know, I think we're going to see some helping hands, at least to get the more professional players on. And we're going to need, I guess, better support from, let's say, more, let's say, older or more popular traditional Bitcoin wallets to support Lightning. And even the ones that aren't only just Bitcoin wallets in order for kind of we, us to see any kind of humongous adoption of Lightning beyond what we already have right now, which is, again, super impressive anyway, right? On the topic of hot wallets, do you think that there's a good analogy here between like the uh, physical, like fiat money holding that in a wallet? Do you think this is eventually going to be um, a, like once people become educated on like how to move between hot and cold wallets, do you think there's going to be a point where everyone just kind of carries some small balance in a hot wallet? Is this something like in the same way that 20 years ago, everyone, you kind of just walked around with cash in your wallet. You had a bit sitting on you no matter what. Um, and then you had a bunch in a bank or, or stored away somewhere else that was kind of like your cold storage solution before, before Bitcoin. Do you think there's that same distinction that's going to develop? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think it would only be an extension of that analogy, to be honest. I think for the most part, if you have funds parked in your, let's say, Lightning wallet and they are doing nothing, what is the point of it, basically? Why is it stuck there doing nothing? You kind of need to have capital to allocate. And for the most people, you're not going to allocate your entire net worth, essentially, to a Lightning wallet because you're not going to be using all of it at once, right? Unless... Like, unless there is some way for you to kind of use it effectively, maybe you're kind of lending it out and loaning it. But right now, it doesn't exist. And I think for the vast majority of people, it's going to be a case they're going to be, you know, let's say active funds or funds they're going to be using. Maybe it's to trade. Maybe it's to actually, I don't know, shop with or do their kind of day-to-day -day with. From our perspective, you know, you have your kind of capital at play. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're trading across multiple places, you dedicate an amount to this trade, this strategy. And... All of those funds need to be used. Otherwise, you're using your capital massively inefficiently, which is a humongous problem, right? Because you're basically not making anything or using your funds in any kind of an effective way. And I think for the, for the trader side of things, you might see a lot of traders, at least kind of for how we hope for it to work, keep an increasing amount in their Lightning wallet or their Lightning infrastructure, however it is internally for them. Because the kind of joys of Lightning is you can move it extremely fast, faster than anything, actually. And so you no longer have these or this inertia where you're waiting for transactions to confirm. Let's say you're running like a, let's say a simple strategy where you're trading on a spot exchange and you're perhaps shorting it on a kind of a derivative exchange. Traditionally, what people do for that is they leave an amount of capital on the spot exchange, an amount of capital on the derivative exchange. Usually on the derivative exchange, they're never really totally using all of that capital. In fact, some of it's just sitting there doing nothing. And it's solely there in case they need to readjust their margin. And they need to update it very quickly. Which means you have an amount sitting on the exchange that you never really needed to have before. Right? It's A, quite dangerous. And B, that extra amount you're doing nothing with. It's not earning you anything. It's not losing you anything. But it's also not being used effectively. So with Lightning, in theory... You could have a single wallet which you control and you'll be able to rebalance across multiple exchanges at the same time that support Lightning up to the Satoshi amount, never leaving 
as more than is actually needed on the specific position. We've never really had this before, right? Like maybe in the traditional world, maybe the analogy to this is more like a kind of prime brokerage, right? Where if you had a position and you needed some credit, perhaps you actually didn't have anything on it. You know, there's a line of credit there for you to kind of exploit basically. But in crypto, we don't have this, at least not perfectly quite yet. And so, yeah, it would effectively allow like, multiple traders to, to be constantly rebalancing across multiple exchanges, but have maximum capital usage, as in to the Satoshi, right? never anything spared. And there's something special about this, is we've never really had this in crypto actually quite yet. Um, so there's something quite magical about it. So in long story short, kind of back to your question, I think for a lot of people, you're going to still see a split of how their funds are allocated, whether it's on-chain or off-chain. I still think you're going to see a lot of it kind of kept in, in cold storage because I think there's kind of, at least right now, no substitute for how safe that is. And on the Lightning side of things, the capital that you're actually using, right, whether it's specifically for trading, um, whether it's your kind of everyday spending, will probably increase over time. Um, but again, you can at least use it more effectively than you've ever used it before. Right. It, it seems like there's a lot of benefits here to building on Lightning. To I get I get the, the pitch here um, about maximum capital efficiency and being able to move funds seamlessly and instantly. What do you think the big constraints are holding back, you know, the Binance's and the Coinbase's from adopting Lightning now? Like what I think I think there's Bitfinex is one of the yeah. kind of biggest centralized exchanges that has Lightning integrated. I don't know of many of the other like major centralized exchange players. Um, I think Kraken might be working on it. Um, but what do you think is holding them all back right now? And how soon do you think we could see some of them pick up lightning? Yeah, I love this question. Like, um, so my co-founder and I, before we started with Collider, we were going around exchanges asking them, you know, if they heard about lightning. This could basically dramatically change how you do settlements. And no one knew. I think it was about a couple of years ago now. You know, we always met with blank faces. And now like you're getting the likes of Bitfinex supporting it. You've got OKX, OKCoin. Um, and I think probably an increasing amount. You mentioned Kraken as well. They're supposed to be working as well quite quietly. And I think it's inevitable that most exchanges will have it. Like there's only a matter of time. However, exchanges are like fairly beastie businesses uh, and what I mean by that is you know they make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money so their kind of cash inflow outflow kind of needs to make sense in terms of product development cycles if you create a product that's a long shot and is not going to be making any money within the first month or first two months they're not going to work on it it basically is going to get pushed aside to something else right now the I guess let's say the state of lightning uh, kind of where it is in terms of uh maturity perhaps many exchanges don't want to be building on this and spending a lot of development time and product time building this into their existing infrastructure for very little return uh, on the outset it, unfortunately i think it becomes like this especially for the let's say the binances of the world or the ftx of the world it's very much a case of okay cool we like lightning and many of the exchanges i've spoken to have heard about it they have a very good understanding of it but it's a case of it actually loses out against other products, basically. And I think, you know, in order for this to really take off or lightning to, to kind of take off across these exchanges, you need internal champions, right? You've got Pierre, Kraken. Um, and I think 
those champions can kind of push it forward and accelerate it a little bit more. Um, but again, it still comes down to, does Lightning help them make money instantly? Um, I don't know. Is there a product that can help them make money? And does Lightning and the efforts and resources they put into it today um, to, let's say, release it tomorrow make sense? No, who knows? I think for the most part, though, it probably does lose out against other things. Right. Um, one other thing that I've seen a few exchanges start to adopt is uh, tokenized stocks. That's something I think I think Binance and FTX have it. Um, they have a, a limited selection of stocks right now. And actually, that's something I saw on the Collider site that that was coming soon, yep. tokenized stocks. Is this something you can talk more about? Is this something that uh, you think is going to be a big feature on Collider? Um, curious to hear more about your plans there. So, yeah, obviously... I can't go super deep into this. I mean, it's something we want to do. Um, I'd be lying if we say we're close to it at all right now. Um, I think tokenized stocks are interesting. And the reason we look at them is, let's say we, if we ever are in a position ready to kind of add them, they create an entirely different user experience with Lightning. The way I'm imagining it is, imagine, you know, you could be taking very small Satoshi positions in Tesla. And it could be instant and you could be essentially <laughs> balancing in and out of your own wallet um, against multiple different, let's say, tokenized stocks in this case. However, there's a lot to do before we will ever add them. Um, there's a lot on the kind of the regulatory front. There's a lot of how we actually need to structure our business for this to work. Um, this is very far, very much like a moonshot, I think, for us, to be honest. Um, however, I think being able to instantly adjust your positions and maybe take positions on something like Tesla or say any, any kind of kind of tokenized stock would be probably the ultimate experience i think with lightning um i, I couldn't do anything better basically to do it with yeah so imagine you have all your funds you're in your own For wallet sure. and you know you woke up and you've seen sort of elon musk treating some pretty bullish stuff which means tesla only goes up right you uh you know maybe slap on your ten thousand sats and you're instantly into tesla there's no waiting there's no going through all these hoops uh, and you're there you're able to close it whenever you want fairly quickly and take your funds somewhere else. I think for us at least, like the big part of Collider is you should have to control your own funds. If we could, we'd build everything we're doing in a kind of decentralized fashion. But the way we're building it at least right now is you only risk what you have open on a position. That's it. We're not decentralized, right? So we're technically, we hold your funds for as long as a position is open for, but only the funds you've risked in that position. As soon as you close it, we actually want to force you to put it back into your own wallet. We, we don't want it. Um, I think it's probably one of the things Lightning changes is it actually changes the behavior of a trader above everything else. You don't need to leave it on the exchange anymore. It's cheap enough and fast enough for you to actually close a position, have it go back into your own wallet, and maybe use those funds to buy yourself a pizza or a beer or whatever, or a house, depending on how much you're trading. But you can essentially now move it faster than ever and effectively risk less. Right. Does, uh, does Lightning open up the possibility for like onboarding all sorts of stocks? Like I noticed that on Binance and FTX, there's, they have a selection of like 10 or 20 main big cap kind of uh, well-known stocks. I don't understand why there isn't a full catalog of stocks available. Um, is this something that is uh, solved by Lightning? Is this something that is a regulatory issue? Is this something that 
they just haven't gotten around to there's not enough liquidity what's the what's the reasoning behind so kind of them only listing a few stocks and and do you think there will ever be a time where you can get access to any exchange or any stock pair um, yeah so i think in the world it's important to kind of draw the distinction so lightning and tokenized stocks actually have nothing to do with each other tokenized stocks are just another product right you can own an exchange how you enter that product can technically be with any currency across any chain it doesn't really matter right which is why on let's say um, on ftx right you've got a us dollar amount basically you're trading with regardless if you funded with bitcoin or anything else what limits what they add i think is mostly just the regulatory front so they have like a basically a broker somewhere else that allows them to issue those tokenized stocks and they're pretty much at the mercy of whatever they are allowed through that third party to do however tell that with a pinch of salt we haven't done it ourselves we can't tell you exactly Makes sense. Um, wh- let's let's step back and just talk about Lightning more broadly here. Is there any other kind of, ha- have you played around with a lot of the apps on Lightning yet? Any of the infrastructure? Is there anything you're really excited about that maybe you've discovered and, and not many people know about yet? Um, what do you like using in the space? What are some of the products that you use on a regular basis? Um, anything have like a notably good experience? Anything uh, worth mentioning? I mean, I've tried a lot of different Lightning applications out there. Um, I think they're all fun, simply because I like the idea of using Lightning regardless. But I think maybe I'll answer that in a different way. What I enjoy the most about Lightning is the fact that you have browser extensions that can be linked to your own wallet, let's say your own node or someone else's via LMBits. Uh, so you've got Albi out there, you have Jewel as well previously. And I think Jewel was like the first iteration. Maybe Albi is going to kind of sort out a lot of the, kind of the UX difficulties that Jewel had. But we kind of now have an experience whereby you can go on any website and if they have LNUR enabled and LNORTH and everything else that goes along with it, you can log in, you can do whatever that website is asking you to do. Let's say in our case, it's trying to like fund a position and you can close that position and you can do it all basically without ever pulling your phone out of your pocket and without ever kind of using a like a desktop-based wallet, it's all from this browser extension. And you kind of have this MetaMask-style experience, right, if you ever use anything on Ethereum, except it's extremely fast, like much, 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 much faster, and it's far, far, far cheaper, right? It's probably kind of what DeFi wants to be, right, this extremely fast, nice user experience. And I think that allows you to do many different things. With us right now, we're actively kind of experimenting with Albi to introduce features whereby you know every even prompt every time you close a position, instead of the user being asked for it to go to the wallet, it just sends it back to the wallet automatically. So you're effectively never leaving anything on Collider. And I think those kind of experiences are only really enabled when you consider basically a browser extension um, that allows you to kind of hook into your wallet and do things you perhaps wouldn't be able to do before. I think right now we're in the early side of Lightning, which is, you know, where we love QR codes. If you want to get into something, you want to use something, you've got to scan that QR code, right? You've got to essentially deposit your funds or use your funds in some way. Hopefully, I think we get get rid of QR codes completely. I hope we, you know, every Lightning application out there, I hope I never see one again, hopefully. Um, and I think, yeah, with the likes of Albi and Jewel and probably some more coming as well soon, 
yeah, we're definitely going to change the experience of how Lightning applications kind of function and work. Um, my first ever experience of Lightning was using a polio feed, you know, feeding the chickens. And I remember, you know, it'd be like nighttime or something in America, wherever they were. And you'd get this QR code and you'd, you know, basically sending portions of a scent across the world. And I thought it was pretty amazing, to be honest. And that was my first ever experience with Lightning. I think it kind of stuck with me. Now I imagine if I could do it without seeing this QR code and I could just be, you know, smashing <laughs> the pay button or whatever wallet I have on, on the extension and be feeding these chickens far too much or far, far too much than they're supposed to be fed. And to be honest, I think it's just a, a play on an already fairly decent experience. But yeah, I try and use as many kind of lighting applications as, as I can but I can't really point out like one particular one is the, the best experience. I, as you can imagine, particularly use the exchanges with Lightning quite a bit for my own testing. I'm really interested to know how people or exchanges in particular view Lightning as an asset. For a while, you know, on Bitfenix, Lightning, instead of being classified as Bitcoin, was classified as a LNX or something. Um, and that interests me, to be honest, like how exchanges are going to be integrating Lightning into their existing infrastructure, how they're going to basically view it or allow the user to view it. When OKX is a bit slick, you know, let's say you deposit Bitcoin, you just select whether it's Lightning or Bitcoin. And it's different in other places as well. So yeah, at least from, from my side of things, as you can imagine, I mostly use Lightning for, for the exchange side of things. I like just seeing how other people are experimenting it, how they're kind of showing or using Lightning to improve user experiences on more traditional platforms that have been around a lot longer than we ever have. Because when you face it right, we're in alpha. We're very, very early. Right. That's fair enough. So let's wrap this up with a bit about your roadmap, some of the things you're excited about at Collider, and where people can find you. Yep. <clears throat> so for us, for the last few months, we have been in alpha. We started off in kind of a closed alpha. So we had like a select few people kind of trading with us and helping us kind of like iron out a lot of the, the kinks in Lightning. We very quietly opened up the alpha for everyone, um, which is still the case now. And we are, I guess very soon, perhaps maybe this week, going to be removing or at least increasing the maximum position sizes that people are allowed to take. Before, I think we had like a $40 limit. Um, the aim for us, at least on the roadmap, is to remove this limit completely. So... As you can imagine, to get to this stage, most of our problems are actually not so much lightning related. Um, they're actually more on building the exchange side of things. So yeah, we're taking kind of baby steps to get there. But yeah, in terms of the roadmap, what are we going to be? We're going to be adding at least is removing the position limit sizes uh, as well as total margin allocation sizes. So don't forget. We had a limit on the single size you can take in a position, the maximum position size, as well as the maximum margin you have spread across multiple positions. So for people, people that come to Collider, right, they can use Bitcoin via Lightning to trade multiple different derivatives, right? Essentially using Bitcoin to trade the price of Ethereum, Litecoin, Dogecoin, right? Even Bitcoin Cash, as well as the Bitcoin USD price. So we're looking to yeah, increase those amounts. We're also looking to kind of add some more kind of Lightning specific features. I won't kind of reveal them all quite yet, but they have something to do with a, a kind of a browser extension, which means it will be very much a seamless experience and how you can kind of come on and off of Collider or how you access positions. We're also doing a lot on the API side. 
I think personally, the real beauty in Lightning is you can do some amazingly interesting things with the API. So we have a couple of people on right now that are essentially taking you know, highly levered positions and updating their position margins by the Satoshi and very quickly doing it. Something you'd never really be able to do before. I think we're probably going to be releasing some open source market making bots out there or market making infrastructure to allow traders that know what they're doing to basically use Lightning in a way that's easy to understand for them and does a lot of the work for them as well. Um, as well as, you know, hoping to, to kind of, you know, on top of that, create like a, a maybe not just one market making bot, but perhaps a couple out there. Because I think there's some interesting things you can do with hedging as well. So let's say you open up a position somewhere on a spot exchange, being able to instantly have the kind of like hedged position of that existing position you have on the spot exchange open via a bot, via the API, it's probably the best way to do that. And so, yeah, I think from this week as well, we're going to open up the API completely so anyone can test it and play with it, um, as well as kind of the road to beta, which is removing all limits, allowing anyone to come and play, which regardless of the size, essentially. Awesome. Well, I'm excited for the next few months of Collider. It's a stacked roadmap. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show today. Looking forward to uh, following along with Collider and uh, hope to have you on another time soon. Cheers, Kevin. My pleasure. Bye-bye.